everybody to another episode of the Blue Bantam Podcast, a podcast where we're striving to introduce the members of the RPCNA to the pastors of the RPCNA and to glean wisdom for young and aspiring pastors from men with ministry experience. I am one of your co-hosts, Joe Smith. I'm the pastor of Westminster Reformed Presbyterian Church in Westminster, Colorado. My name is Aaron Murray, the pastor of Marion Reformed Presbyterian Church in Marion, Indiana, the home of the beautiful Indiana Wesleyan Christian College. And for those who may not think Marion is a desirable place to live, then I ask, why is it that the RPCNA decides to have its synod here year after year? It's because it is a beautiful, lovely place. And we actually are, are looking forward to uh, Synod next week. I guess by the time this podcast comes out, it uh, will all have already occurred. But we have with us our guest, um, Bruce Parnell. Bruce is the pastor of Stillwater, Oklahoma, um, RP Church out there in the Oklahoma area. So, Bruce, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. Thanks for the invitation. I'm really glad to be part of it. Yeah, it's, uh, we're, we're excited to have you on here, and it was uh, fun to actually kind of run into you a couple of weeks ago um, over at uh, Sean and Gwyneth's wedding here in the uh, Indianapolis area. So it was kind of fun to see you as we had already had this uh, podcast scheduled. Um, so I, you know, as uh, Joe maybe mentioned in our uh, intro here, our goal of uh, this podcast is to interview pastors and to introduce our pastors to uh, the members of our um, congregations and so I wonder, uh, this is, wasn't one of the questions that we sent you, but do you mind telling us just a little bit about uh, Stillwater? Maybe this is for my own benefit. I don't know much about the congregation, like the size, the makeup, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So the Stillwater congregation was actually a church plant when I was in seminary. And for those that have some sense of history of the RPCNA, they might remember that the Home Mission Board had a... Uh, a, a vision for the work of the church of uh, planting seven more by 94 mm. that goes back a ways <laughs> and uh, we were one of those seven more by 94 uh, i graduated from seminary in 1990 and came as an organizing church planter here for the stillwater congregation it's a university town oklahoma state university is located here and um in the uh, in the life of the congregation, uh, we are now uh, 33 years old since uh, since coming. We were organized a year later officially, but uh, I've been here ever since. And we uh, currently have a little over 50 members and have been used in our history to help start two different congregations, uh, one over in Enid and now one in Oklahoma City. The Oklahoma City one is is more current and and, and more recent. Um, so with a university here in town, uh, that that definitely influences or or marks part of a, something of a flavor of of opportunities that are presented to us. Uh, with a university, there are, are a lot of young people that are here, both uh, those who are are uh, Americans, but also a lot of internationals. And uh, throughout our history, we've enjoyed um, something around uh, 15 different nationalities that have been part of our congregation, and uh, including those that uh, have been uh, converted through our ministry or those who have joined uh, by conviction or, or, or brought 
uh, brought here by the Reformed faith, or by actually by the school, and then uh, ser searching out a Reformed church. Um, so uh, there's some things about us um, that may have sparked some other questions. Sure. Well, you you did say you were you graduated seminary in 1990. Is that yeah. right? So you graduated seminary a year before I was born. Okay. <laughs> so, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's good well it's it's always good to kind of have um you know for us young guys to have you know seasoned ministers on the podcast uh, just to help us um and one of those ways that i think you could help us and i think maybe our listeners would be interested in this as well is kind of the pastor's role as as a moderator uh, particularly of, mm -hmm. of sessions we've got some other sub questions about moderating for you here in a minute but um, what exactly is a moderator what are some of the duties of a moderator um, in this particular case a moderator of a local session yeah yeah, the question about a moderator has, in my mind, has to do with, with leadership and leadership that uh, on the, the local level uh, is more than just moving through the actions of an agenda, although it does include that. Uh, there's something of, uh, of having a meeting and a meeting uh, run well. But more than that, I think uh, coming to the, the leadership of the session, moderating the session has in mind uh, uh, knowing and caring for the flock of Jesus Christ and um, planning and preparing and, and leading the congregation well in, in a way that helps them to, to grow in their calling, uh, to be about the work that is distinct to that location. Uh, understanding the gifts and and resources that are available to you, and uh, helping the congregation to, uh, to to know Christ, to to live that out, and that then uh, that uh, that larger goal is then worked out in a very particular way, I think, in developing the uh, the the session as a team. Uh, the ruling elders, uh, along with the pastors, who is typically the moderator, but uh, developing the the gifts of the of the ruling elders and uh, really uh, listening to them, uh, understanding uh, what uh, God has laid on their hearts and why they've been elected elders and how they are going about that work. Um, there's a sense of uh, of uh, of building consensus and agreement that takes place within a session so that there's a um, uh, a time to to listen to them to uh, to build them up uh, really to enable them to to lead well now there can be a, a tendency i think for a pastor to be uh, to lean towards being a one-man show and to uh, to think of the uh, of the other ruling elders as the as the backup band or the uh, the accompaniment, and uh, that and that really isn't a, a biblical model, and, and it's something that I've tried to to work against. That that the session is is a, the body that Christ has given the authority and responsibility to shepherd God's flock. So there's a there's a session together that is, is moving and acting and and, and leading. Uh, so enabling your ruling elders to lead well is is a really a, a primary task, I think, in in the 
moderating of a, of a session is, is to be enabling your ruling elders. Um, that includes listening to them, uh, as I said, building consensus. Um, sometimes as, as you pray and you think about direction for the church, it could be that uh, you bring a proposal to, to a session meeting that uh, ends up either declined or, or maybe, uh, maybe modified. And a good leader listens to his elders and a good leader uh, uh, takes that declining of, of an initiative, not, not personally, but, but prayerfully listens to that and, and says, well, now is not the time for that, or, or it may be that it needs more, more work or development to, to build that consensus uh, and to uh, uh, help the elders to come together in, in the leadership of the congregation. So um, some practical things flow out of that. I would say uh, moderating a meeting that comes not with a blank sheet of paper and says, what should we talk about tonight? There's preparation beforehand, um, preparing an agenda and uh, being thoughtful about that. I know I can be kind of a, a cut and paste kind of guy. And so I, I take my agenda from last time and I, uh, I'll build from there. And if I, if I don't think and pray over that, it can just become routine. And, and, and that's telling. Um, so some thoughtful preparation of the agenda and um, even the, the form your agenda takes can, can demonstrate what your interests are. Um, if it's a, um, it's all kind of to do busy work or if there is a, a sense of wanting to know the congregation to um, to be known by them to lead them uh, to follow Christ um, can be reflected in your agenda uh, it takes prayer as well uh, prayer in preparation of the meeting uh, prayer at the meeting um, discipling of the uh, uh, of your own heart and the word of God discipling of the elders um, and uh, uh, nurturing them and their families. So a lot of background work that goes into that. Yeah, that's that, that's good. Um, I wonder, you know, as you, um, you know, you started moderating and then, you know, you've been in the ministry for quite some years now. What were some things that you did to kind of develop as as a moderator? So we've talked about kind of the, the principles and, and the theological um background behind being a moderator but when it comes to like more robert's rules practicalities um or was there anything that you found helpful um as you developed as a moderator i i ask more uh, just for my own you know personal advice i uh, right. i'm growing as a moderator my clerk is very gracious with me whenever i say something um would you like to ask for a motion for that uh, yes yes i would yes thank you <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, any any you know practical advice when it comes to the uh, practicalities of the meeting itself? Yeah, so this is a place where the distinct nature of your session will come through, and probably reflective of leadership as well. There are very few times that that we um, will say, "Is there a motion? Is there a second discussion? All in favor, say aye." In the local level, we we operate at in a consensus model of uh, of making decisions. So 
technically it uh, um, it could go the route of of coming down to a vote, but more often than not, um, if there's a decision to be made, uh, we'll have discussion about that. I, I will come with a, uh, with something to be discussed or some action to be taken, and, and we'll talk about the pros and the cons. We'll get get everyone's input on that, and I'll say something to the effect that, that it sounds like we're of one mind here that we should do X, Y, or Z. Uh, agreed. And and it's more of that uh, that agreement, or if I um, if I'm in doubt that that asking is is essentially the is is a vote, but it's uh, less formal than that. It's um, and uh, it's a style that works well in a local session. Uh, it's not as as easy. Uh, you can't really do that. That same thing on a presbytery or synod level, you have to you have to ask for votes. And you may be able to say, "It seems like we're coming to a decision. Are you ready for a vote?" On those larger levels, but on a smaller level, I'd say um, be aware of your own session and what their tendencies are. There, there's are are some sessions I think are comfortable operating the way, way we do. Uh, there are others that are are more comfortable with with more of a strict Roberts rules of order and and um, that you can learn a little bit by reading a little bit by observation of of, of that being in practice in other settings and and uh, um, I'm the proponent of learn by doing and so um, for for a young pastor it could be that you uh, you say to your session as you're getting going, um, I, I may fumble along finding my footing on the way in which uh, which we as a session wants to to operate. And then um, bear with me. I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll get up to speed and I, I welcome you to prompt me and to help me know what comes next. Yeah, I think one of the most reoccurring phrases I use during our session meetings is "Thank you for your patience." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. you, so you did mention, um, you know, moderating a session is a little bit different than moderating a presbytery or uh, moderating synod, and um, you had the privilege of being the synod's moderator. I think back in 2021, um, which was the first synod I actually um, sat in on. And, you know, the details of the meeting itself aren't important, but it was quite a significant meeting. So I wonder, you know, how did you go about kind of preparing yourself spiritually for that and then uh, just preparing yourself to be able to um, moderate through all the various issues that were discussed? Fortunately, I was asked beforehand if I would be willing to be mod uh, to be nominated. So I I knew that it was a possibility that I was going to to be nominated and elected to serve as moderator. Um, that's a that's fairly typical for a synod. It's uh, there are times that uh, that the person doesn't know, but it's usually there's there's some questions or, or uh, asking would you be willing behind the scenes, and so uh, I I knew that it was going to be a a difficult. Um, session for the the synods to to work through and so uh, lots of prayer uh, and i enlisted my um, my local elders uh, council as well as as their prayers for the um, 
for me and for the Synod. Uh, I, I do this every year. I ask the, the congregation to be praying for the, the meaning of Synod. Um, I try to explain what's going to happen as well as, um, and, and that's in broad strokes, but then afterwards we do have a report every year so that this, our congregation is in tune with that. So, so mostly, mostly prayer. And uh, fortunately, there is uh, a tendency for our synod to elect men that have been in the pastorate for many years. And so there is a certain knowledge of how synod works just because you, you've been around it quite a bit. Uh, I also served as a clerk of our presbytery for 15 years or so. And um, uh, every good moderator knows that the clerk is the one who actually understands mm -hmm. everything that's going on. And, and <laughs> if you can lean on them uh, and uh, look to them for, for prompts, that's always a good thing. Yeah, the clerks are kind of like the... Uh offensive line or well, the moderators the, the quarterback, yeah. i guess you want to yeah. put it that way they're kind of a, the unsung heroes of the uh the meetings for sure yeah yeah, yeah. joe do you have any other questions on uh moderating i mean just do you have any other tips at all that come to your mind i mean you, you definitely mentioned some already so i guess i'm just asking if there are any more tips for young pastors to grow as a moderator or for young pastors to help in the specific role of moderating a meeting preparing an agenda or developing the ruling elders, as you said, and their gifts, just anything from your decades of practice that come to mind um, that have been helpful to you or could be helpful to others in this realm of moderation. Yeah. So a couple of things you ask on a couple of different levels. Let me start back with the, uh, the ruling elders and the development there. Uh, there are different seasons of life for a session, so uh, we don't do this uh, all the time, but we do have a uh, fairly regular practice of, of spending time ourselves in the Word, and uh, not just in a devotional, but we will take some time to study together uh, as, a, as a session. That flows, in my mind, from what Paul tells the uh, the elders in Ephesus, he, uh, we remember that, especially where it says, where Jesus says, or Paul says to, uh, to shepherd the flock of Jesus Christ, which he purchased with his own blood. Uh, but earlier, he also says to shepherd yourselves. And uh, that uh, we've tried to take that to heart by, uh, by taking time to, uh, to, uh, to study together, to open God's word or to do a book study. And uh, we've done a variety of different things from theological to, to practical. Um, and uh, those have been, uh, I think, very helpful and fruitful times. Uh, like I said, that, that's not something that we do at every meeting, but we do take some seasons uh, of the life of, of our session, which we, we dive into that. Uh, and we pray together. It's a regular part of, of our session meeting. We, um, we pray together uh, for the matters that have, have come up, especially in the midst of the session meeting. And, um, so uh, nurturing the, the elders in that way, I think, is, uh, 
uh, that's one uh, really good tool or a good practice for, for you to develop. And I would also say that uh, session visitation is a really a key part of the shepherding ministry. You ask about that later, I see. But um, the for the uh, for the ruling elders, I take uh, a, a very direct involvement in the shepherding of them and of their families. So um, there have been seasons uh, in in our congregation when the congregation was larger that. Um, when it's smaller, I, I go on every visitation. When the congregation has been larger, there has been some uh, division into shepherding groups. We still have a sense of, of that as well. But um, there have been times when when two ruling elders may go on a, on a session visitation. And then we discuss those together at a, at a regular meeting. But I take direct interest in the in the life of the ruling elder and of their families. And I go on, on every visits to the, to the ruling elders. And uh, so that would be another um, key role. I think that you could have as a pastor of, uh, of caring for, uh, for them. And, and by the way, I'm visited as well. Um, my wife and I and family have a visitation from the elders. So we invite that. We encourage it. We, uh, we thrive under the, the care that we have uh, from our ruling elders. That's good. That's helpful. Thank you. Um, yeah. yeah. So this kind of whole episode is um, kind of questions directly related to pastoral ministry. Sometimes we have some switch ups, but kind of one we always always ask every single um, guest: uh, what is what is your philosophy? of preaching. So again, assuming that we have in our confession and catechisms and testimony laid out a theology of preaching, uh, what is your own philosophy of preaching in the sense of, you know, how do you preach? What does your preaching look like? What style do you use? How do you uh, choose books or texts? Why do you preach the way you do just in general, kind of that how does Bruce Parnell apply a reformed theology of preaching in, in your own ministry there at Stillwater? I have tried to summarize a philosophy of ministry in a real simple way that, um, that my philosophy of ministry is to, uh, to bring God's word to bear in people's lives. So uh, that is going to be uh, a theme that can be addressed in just about every aspect of the pastoral ministry. And so applied to, to preaching, there is the uh, obvious theology of understanding the Bible is God's word, that preaching is a, is a proclamation that we are heralds of Christ, and that um, what God has placed in our hands is, is his very words to, uh, to explain, to, um, to open that word, to proclaim the truth to, to those that are uh, are are there in the congregation or those that are, are coming from the community um, so uh, and and to make application from that so uh, that uh, I think every reformed press pastor I think is going to answer very similarly in in that that vein so there are a, a lot of headings that people will use and so I would uh, identify 
uh, as a, uh, practicing expository preaching and uh, preaching that is in the historical redemptive vein of, of seeing the text in the context of the history of redemption and helping people to see Christ and, and the cross and our response to, uh, to his call to us. Um, so that leads to, uh, to a general bent towards uh, to preaching through a book of the Bible consecutively. And I'm not one to take a single verse, except on occasions where, where it, I think it warrants it, but, but more to take a pericope or to take a paragraph, uh, to take a, uh, a main idea from, from that paragraph and to, uh, to explain and apply that um, in, in its context. Uh, I said that's my general practice. Um, uh, I do uh, I, I do also preach topically uh, and uh, will uh, will choose um, choose those topics based on a, a sense of the of the need of the congregation or something that is as has weighed heavy on on my heart, or or weighed heavy on the on the hearts of the congregation, uh, that can come through even in the in expository preaching, because what what God lays on on our hearts as we are interacting with that uh, with that passage, there's there's the there's the truth that. Uh, Using Denny Pruto's uh, model, there's the expository, uh, or there's the exegetical point that is is the uh, uh, unchanging truth of God's word. But then there's the expository point. What is it that? How is it that you are to to apply that today to your congregation? And that may vary some based on based on what your congregation is going through. Um, so even in my topical sermons, I'll, I'll likely pick a, a passage that speaks to that and, and preach through that, that passage. But I, uh, I, I do choose books, uh, usually in consultation with my session. Uh, I'll, I'll come typically with a couple of uh, ideas or a couple of proposals of what, uh, what I'm leaning towards. And I'll give reasons for that. So um, right now I'm preaching through First Peter, and I'm drawn to that for a number of reasons. But um, Peter says, "Don't be surprised by the fiery trials that are are, are setting upon you." And so I, I'm conscious of the fiery trials that uh, that that we are going through. That. Uh, seem to be growing in our culture. And previous to that, I preached through First Samuel. And I was in the midst of the, the last election. And uh, my um, uh, my conviction and what I tried to communicate is I think we're longing for, uh, for leadership in our country. Uh, and we're longing for, for godly leadership. And ultimately, we're longing for Christ. So those are some examples of, of things that that move me to pick to to preach through uh, certain books of the Bible.
No, that's good. That's that's super helpful. So what does um, your ordinary preparation look like? Do you have kind of a method? Does it vary? You mentioned Denny Pruto and Aaron and I both took intro to preaching under Denny and uh, he's got his method that you walk through um, to, to go from text to sermon. So what does what does Pastor Parnell's uh, preparation look like from the time you begin that preparation whenever you do uh, to the time it's ready to go into the pulpit? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure it's ever ready to go into the pulpit. It's, uh, <laughs> we have discovered this that uh, even in the midst of preaching, I'm I'm still prayerfully considering and, and thinking, oh, uh, is this the right place to bring this up? Or uh, did I? Why, why did I bring that up? I, I'm editing on the fly, and um, it's kind of the dynamic of preaching that's taking place at that point. But, but back up there, there is preparation that's one going on, and I, uh, while uh, um, while the in a sense, the skeleton or the main thrust of uh, of Denny's model is would be a model that I uh, that I would follow. There are some uh, specifics to his model that I'm uh, that I, uh, I I differ slightly in, but the uh, it does start with interaction with the text, and so so I'm looking at the at the passage, at its context, at the uh, at the words that are being used, um, trying to understand what the author in his context is seeking to, uh, to address and, uh, for, uh, to use his model, I'm, I'm seeking the exegetical points of the passage. And, uh, as I then identify the exegetical points, then uh, I'll be looking at the, the passage itself to try to lead to a structure, uh, of, uh, of presenting that and presenting um, you know, I'm, uh, all through the working through the text, I'm, I'm mulling and, and meditating on. So what do I want to say about this? What do I want to apply uh, to the congregation? I'm searching for that expository point. And I do think there is, uh, there's power in identifying the single idea, the, the single point that you want to bring home to the congregation, and so, um, so uh, I try to uh, to to settle on that expository point, and then in interaction with the text, uh, how is that that point demonstrated from this text, and uh, seek to make applications. Kind of uh, along the way as we work through work through a passage. Oh yeah, no, that's good. So what um, what then do you end up taking into the pulpit? So you've kind of worked through, you've you've understood the text and its context, you've thought through applications um, for your congregation. So at that point, are you? Are you developing an outline and just taking that into the pulpit? Are you somebody who just meditates on all, the, all those ideas and kind of has it organized in your mind and just preaches with no notes? Or do you take that study, put it into a manuscript and take a manuscript into the pulpit? Uh, what, what does that jump look like? And then what do you actually take into the pulpit on, on the Lord's days usually? Yeah. So I am a manuscript guy. I, um, 
I found that my my speaking extemporaneously can can uh, often fumble along or revert into patterns of speech and a vocabulary that is is rather repetitive. So I like to think carefully about the words that I choose and the, the points that I'm wanting to make. And uh, and part of it is just the process of thinking that uh, writing helps me process thinking. Um, and so I do write a ma manuscript and uh, go back and and edit it. Uh, uh, well, in a sense, I'm I'm editing it all the way through the, the actual preaching of it. Um, but in saying that, I I hope you see that that I'm not in a sense bound by the manuscript. I I do take a manuscript, but I've I've underlined or or highlighted the key concepts. Um, uh, sometimes. Uh, the key circling keywords that I that I, I have chosen specifically, or, or key concepts that I want to bring out, and uh, so uh, as I as I preach, I'm I try I, I have prepared a manuscript, and so I thought through it. I, um, I'm my my mind and my heart is is full of that subject, and so I don't ever memorize. A manuscript or, or try to uh, to preach that way but rather to have that there as the uh, um, as my guide um, as a uh, as a thing that I refer to to, to keep me on point uh, to, to keep me focused on uh, on what it is that uh, that I've wanted to say always being sensitive then to um you know this uh, someone's confused in the congregation that needs to be developed more or this this is this has moved somebody what what moved them and, and am i is there something there to to deepen and to and to draw out um and in saying i use a manuscript let me also observe that um that uh, did did you guys also um, um, have a, a a class on public speaking by Dr. Trout? Yep. Yep. Good. Good because because uh, preaching is not it is not teaching, and preaching is a is a spoken event. And the way you speak is different than the way you would write a theological journal or mm -hmm. write a commentary. So there's, there's no concern about me writing a theological journal or. or <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd be surprised uh, when you read a lot of commentary, when you read a lot of theological journals, and if if, uh, if those are things that are are shaping what you're saying, that you might structure your sentences to go longer. Uh, and to be more reflective of a reading pace than a spoken pace. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, I, I do try to keep that in mind. So one, one of the ways that that I'll uh, often find myself editing what I've written is by dividing up long sentences, uh, intentionally dividing them 
into smaller bites and making sure that they fit the spoken word, not the, not the written word. So One no way semicolons you in your uh, manuscript? Say it again? There's no semicolons in your manuscript? <laughs> uh, nope, I uh, don't. Uh, uh, well, there may be, but uh, there's uh, hopefully get edited out. <laughs> I'm sorry, I keep, I keep uh, interrupting your flow of thought. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, that's okay. That's okay. Um, I, I was going to say, let me say, think. Write, write short sentences. Yeah, write short sentences. And uh, then um, as I'm able, uh, most of the time I will I will take my manuscript and stand in the pulpit uh, and and run through it. I'll practice preach it. And that also highlights as you say it out loud, oh that doesn't make sense. That or uh, I, I can barely get a breath in here. That sentence way too, <laughs> yeah. way too long. <laughs> Things like that. Mm -hmm. Now, when you do yeah. that, um, do you, how much time do you give yourself between actually, you know, verbally practicing the sermon um, to Sunday morning when you're actually preaching the sermon? It's usually towards the very end of the process for me. So I, I have uh, perfectly considered everything. And, and um, for me, I'm, I, I, it's always all through the week the the text is running through my head and i may be engaged in other things but it's still running around in the back of my mind it's churning mm -hmm. there and uh, part of that is is uh, it is a conscious kind of meditating on that part of it is an unconscious um uh, it's just the burden of preaching that makes it makes it stay there. Um, so it's it's churning there in the in the back of my mind, and, and so I um, uh, I'll have done some uh, some preliminary outlining and, and writing towards the beginning of the week, and but then uh, more serious writing Thursday Friday, and try to have it done by Friday to be able to. Uh, to to, to stand, have it in its uh, finished forms. We all use quote marks around mm -hmm. that. Right. Yep. That that sense of it's never finished until you until you preach it. Mm -hmm. Even uh, even Saturday. If in fact, if I if I don't touch it on Saturday, uh, it's a. Uh, I just have to have a little bit of time with it on Saturday to to keep it fresh to. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and and I do get up early at Sunday morning to pray and to go over it one last time uh, before preaching. Yeah, so that uh, kind of brings us to uh, another um, topic that, that we've talked about a little bit, but uh, the, the topic of shepherding. Now, preaching is, of course, kind of this, uh, I think as Whitmer talks about in his book, Shepherd Leader, kind of macro shepherding. Um, but when it comes to more micro shepherding or um, more interpersonal types of interactions and, and types of shepherding what's your you know broad philosophy of uh, shepherding as a pastor and then what does you know what should the ideal shepherding scenario look like in congregations and then how does Stillwater go about um, accomplishing that shepherding philosophy 
ideal is a lofty word and a weighty <laughs> word to ask me to define the ideal uh, situation. So I'll uh, I'll address uh, our application of that. I sure, you, you answer the question however you want. <laughs> uh, so I'll go back to that, that broad, really simple philosophy of ministry. And I believe uh, God uses this word to change lives. And so I'm committed to bringing God's word to bear in uh, in our context so uh, uh, shepherding uh, has uh, very specific applications in that and and i I like the term that you've identified the whitmer's idea of macro and micro shepherding and in his book he does talk about uh, knowing and being known as part of that goal of shepherding and that's been goes into nurture and to discipleship and and uh, correction and a variety of other um, applications of, of God's word. Uh, so um, knowing and being known is what we've received from Christ. And so uh, shepherding the flock that he's purchased with his blood has in, in mind, I think, knowing and being known uh, that is... Uh, is what's entrusted to us by Christ himself. And that's a humbling thing to say because we're fallen men. And, and Christ knows that. And yet he has still entrusted the care of the church to, uh, to, to sinners who redeemed by Christ, called to, to serve his flock. So with, uh, uh, with that in mind, uh, I have it. Um, I, I have as a goal, the idea of, of knowing and being known as part of, uh, of the shepherding of, of a flock. So um, we have as a, a regular part of our session meeting, a reflection on the needs of the congregation. Um, and we have as a regular, as that part, we will uh, we'll discuss uh, session visitations that have taken place in the last month. Uh, not everybody goes on every visitation. Uh, that would be rather, it's already hard, I think, sometimes for a congregation to have the pastor and an elder to come. Uh, they're sometimes a little frightened by that. So imagine if five of them came and knocked on the door. And <laughs> um, so we share back and forth those visitations or conversations that we've had to uh, share things from our shepherding uh, groups um, that we may have a primary uh, emphasis on, on certain members and bringing uh, those things to attention. Um, so I, I try to, to spend time with people uh, that, author uh, just escaped my mind I should have jotted it down but um, one of my friends uh, gave me a book early on um, titled of men and books mm. and it's a it's a picture of a pastor's life uh, the pastor needs to be comfortable in the study uh, has to be comfortable with God's word of understanding it and and uh, and its applications and we talk some about that uh, but he also needs to be uh, a man who's comfortable with people, so men and books. And so uh, I even structure my 
week broadly in that way, uh, morning times, uh, seeking to be devoted to, to study and afternoons and evenings as necessary, uh, devoted towards, uh, to interacting with people or, or taking the study to, to people. So that takes a variety of forms. I, I, I meet one-on-one in, dis, uh, in discipleship. I have uh, counseling relationships with uh, with a number of different people. I am uh, participating in that session visitation. Our congregation is of a size right now that I go on every session visitation. So uh, I I can know and be known uh, by the by the congregation. Um, there are um, those formal times that are, are spent together. There are informal times that are, are spent um, being known and, and knowing. I don't know if that's the ideal, but that's uh, sure. one aspect of our application of that sure. to upsetting. Um, if you don't mind me asking, um, uh, what what does like the outline or structure of a home visitation look like for you guys? I mean, I'm sure it varies church to church and maybe from house to house even. Um, but do you guys, I, I think Whitmer even talks about sending questions ahead of time. Do you do, you do that? What does the, the details of the visitation look like? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we have, have always aimed at being an encouragement to the members of the congregation in, in their walk. That's the broad headline for that. And that can take a, a variety of different forms or, or can look a variety of different ways. And, and um, but it all kind of comes back to um, a couple of main questions that um, what, uh, how has God ministered to you through the difficulties that you face this year? And what are passages that have been an encouragement to you? What are ways that God is causing you to grow uh, through the midst of that difficulty? Or what ways have you been blessed by your own, own study or um, the experiences that you've had uh, recently over this last year? Now, even saying it that way, that, um, each of our visitations is going to come back somewhat to that, but we will also adopt uh, something of a of a theme for the year that will shape the the questions that we ask for the year. So, as a for instance, there are uh, the, the, I'm going to speak real candidly about this this uh, the sense of uh, of our own congregation uh, just moved by. The, the trials that a number are going through a variety of nature that I, I was our, our session was convinced of of them needing to know that they're children of God and so it, it sprung from uh, John 14 I will not leave you orphans I will come to you uh, and so we adopted several questions that just interact with that concept of not being an orphan, uh, the concept of 
God adopting you into his family and how that helps you to understand the trials that you're going through and to, uh, to give you hope in the midst of that. Um, so there have been different things that have moved us in years past uh, to, uh, to shape certain questions about, about evangelism or uh, every year we do ask about their own uh, personal devotions, about their family devotions. Sometimes we even say, hey, we'd love to sit in on your family devotions, uh, uh, not as a specimen for for examination, but to just enjoy opening God's word together with you, encourage the, the families in, in that practice. So uh, those are some ideas of, of what that looks like. And, mm -hmm. um, Is there, you know, this would be more of a, an experienced pastor asking an experienced pastor when it comes to doing home visitations, is there ever a place to ask, you know, is there any areas where you see the church could improve um, in ministries or any ways that the church could improve in ministering to you particularly? And that could open up a can of worms, but I could also see how it would be very beneficial as well. Yeah. In fact, uh, that is a, a fairly regular question. Okay. Um, uh, identifying um, not only their own private interaction with the word of God, but then uh, the, the ministry of the church, uh, what has been a blessing to you? Uh, is there a place where where you see opportunity for the church to grow or to minister mm -hmm. to you or to a community? Um, are there, are there uh, things that God is laying on your heart that uh, places where where you like um, like opportunity or training or um, uh, kind of that, that dynamic aspect of uh, those members in being enabled to do the work God has called them to do. Uh, so yes, I think that's a very appropriate question. I've got a whole, excuse me, I've got a whole slew of other questions I want to ask, but I also want to respect your time so we can move on to the next question. Unless Joe, you have something else you want to follow up on? No, I was just going to say, I could totally vouch that Bruce does go on every home visitation. Cause I had the, uh, privilege of being one of the guys to review Stillwater's minutes uh, before I think it was the last Presbyterian meeting or the one before or something like that. And two things uh, stuck out to me about reviewing Stillwater's minutes. They're uh, very organized. And I noticed that Bruce was on every home visitation that was discussed. So definitely a man committed to the work. And uh, that, that was just something that stuck out to me, something I try and do here, but uh, it was it was encouraging to see you do that. Um, so yeah, we don't we don't have uh, a ton of time left with you. We do have our fun mystery theological question at the end. But just briefly, um, you mentioned that that Stillwater's planted two churches since you've been there, and uh, one of those is somewhat recent and is is in a sense near and dear to Aaron and I's hearts because of Stephen Mulder, who was with us mm -hmm. our first year at seminary and uh we we love Stephen. he he helped stock our libraries he would give us good <laughs> deals from the uh, seminary used bookstore he would uh, let us know when good stuff was coming in and and uh <laughs> it would would cut us all sorts of good deals on on wonderful books so um love him for all sorts of reasons but yeah i'll just abbreviate this question some if it say anything about the oklahoma city plant that you want but we you know congregations that are either church 
involved in church planning, I guess we always kind of just want to ask them some of those general blessings and challenges of going through that. And then if you have any tips for congregation sessions who may be thinking through uh, planting a church in, say, the next five or so years or something, how they could be going about that, some kind of best practices that maybe you guys have learned, um, and, and especially having done it relatively recently yourselves. Yeah, you may have to set a timer here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you give us as much time as you want. Like, I'm I'm all yours. <laughs> yeah, church planning is near and dear to my heart. So uh, it's something I've, I've done a lot of thinking and and uh, and have invested quite a bit of uh, of my pastoral ministry in, in this. So we were a church plant, and then uh, we did intentionally daughter a congregation we needed in Oklahoma City, and, and that that term daughtering is. Um, I think fairly well understood the idea of sending out a core group out of your main congregation and uh, um, often use my hands to demonstrate that. So if you have crossed hands, the, the, the idea is, is that there's a, a, a progressive separation of those hands to form the identity of the, uh, of the new congregation. And, and and there's, um, from our experience, an intentional effort to do that um, takes, um, it takes faith, <laughs> it takes manpower, it takes prayer, it takes, it takes a lot of effort. Uh, we invest a lot in the, in the planting of a new congregation. There's a liveliness, I think, that comes from it. Um, the, the liveliness that comes from a theology that says um, we believe that God is about uh, the building up of his kingdom and that that comes through the institution of the church. And so for the, the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the work of the church, we are interested in nurturing and, and helping new congregations get started. So that theology motivates us to be intentional about that, but it is an effort. Um, it's a, um, it's a, it's an act of war, an act of spiritual war to, uh, to, to, in a sense, gain new ground, uh, to plant a, a new congregation, a new front in, in the battle. So um, we have found. Just more broadly, as a denomination, that uh, that we have been um, most fruitful in this area of daughtering. And there are reasons that motivate us to go further away than an hour or so uh, to a new community. Uh, there's strategic reasons to do that, and and uh, and we've gathered our our forces and our, our finances and manpower to do that and it has been fruitful um, but the um, there is a, a, a healthiness to, to send out a, a, a group uh, that may have a, a healthy beginning and and a cohesion together as a group uh, rather than um, gathering together um, 
in a strategic location that just takes a little longer to, to get to get started. Um, so the Oklahoma City congregation was sent out in uh, November of uh, 2021. So it had been about a year and a half. And it's uh, full of all of the joys and sorrows of life of ministry, the side of glory. So um, God encouraged them very quickly with, uh, with, uh, with those or with a group of five different households that attended the first meeting, the first public Sunday morning worship. Uh, so that was a huge encouragement uh, of those. Several have become members. Um, and of those, uh, one of them has already moved on. Uh, so that uh, that happens. Um, uh, work moved them out of state. So that's just part of the world we live in. So. Uh, let me do say, uh, I appreciate the, that you asked about congregations that are thinking about church planting, and uh, I'll uh, use that analogy of daughtering once more by saying that in a, in a birth, there's not only a baby, there's a mother, and the, and the mother invests in, in the birth of the child. And that there is a certain aspect of, of recovery that takes place after the baby is born. And we're in the midst of that now. We send out, uh, it was roughly about a third of our, of our congregation that we sent out to Oklahoma City. And that included uh, Stephen and Grace Stephen as an associate pastor, so um, uh, uh, a co-laborer, a leader in the congregation. We overlapped at the call in that together time for six or seven months. We sent out uh, an associate pastor, a ruling elder, and a deacon, uh, along with uh, a number of other uh, lay leaders and uh, and lots of children. And there is, um, you go from 80, 85 in worship to 50, 45, 50 in worship, and you feel that. Uh, you, you feel that psychologically. You feel, you feel small. Um, you feel that in, in, in manpower. Those able leaders and, um, whether ordained or, or, just active participants are are now serving in another congregation, and, and you you miss that, uh, you miss dear friends. Uh, so uh, by faith, we're, we're we're rejoicing at the start of a new congregation. We're praying that the Lord would uh, would uh, revive the, the mother congregation, our own congregation. And uh, revive it in in uh, uh, first fruits of the gospel. Um, revive it in uh, those that are seeking a church like this to be a part of uh, that would join in and be disciple. Uh, revive us in the development of of new leadership, where there's it's not a vacuum, uh, but there there are spots that are open now, and the Lord is bringing together others that um, interestingly may have 
shied away from volunteering because there were able people already doing that. Uh, but now they have opportunity to, to step forward. So um, those are a few observations from our experience. Yeah, no, that's that's good. That's uh, very helpful and touching on both the, the sorrows and the joys of it. That seems to be a common theme with, with men that we've asked about it. So uh, we've come now to the time of our signature fun mystery theological question. And the reason uh, we're asking you, and we've asked the prior two guys this question, is one of them was our beloved Old Testament professor, C.J. Williams, from uh, seminary, and it was a question that he debated Jeff Stuyvesant over uh, the two of them together. And so we're seeking over the course of four episodes to once and for all solve the mystery of the identity of Melchizedek. And so we're wondering, uh, does Bruce Parnell think that Melchizedek was uh, a type of Christ, or does Bruce think that Melchizedek was in fact the pre-incarnate Christ, a Christophany? Uh, there in Genesis 14. What what is Bruce's thoughts as we seek to solve this theological dilemma? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> I, I was hoping that I had used up my time and uh, I, I have this naughty issue to, uh, to unfurl or uh, untwine. Uh, so um, uh, I'm not as studied as the men that you've uh, just listed, and so I'll give my uh, my own impressions uh, that uh, I think Melchizedek was a type of Christ, not a, a Christophany. Um, uh, I don't have any um, any necessary uh, reasons to to or. or we put it a different way. I, um, I'm not sure I could cite chapter and verse to definitively uh, identify it one way or another. And that's probably why it's a controversy or not controversy, but a, right. a fun, fun interactive question. So, um, yeah, so um, the I guess the main reason I would say type is that the, um, the Christophanies seem to... Uh, have a, a a limited appearance, and Melchizedek definitely has a, a a a limited appearance, to the best of our knowledge. Uh, but he's cast as a historical figure uh, in Scripture, and because of that, my my tendency is to think of him as a type of Christ uh, that was. Uh, um, Standing in his role as as king and prophets to excuse to king and priest as a type of the coming savior Jesus. Yeah, well, just so you know, so right now it's two to one for type. CJ CJ holds the Christophany position. Jeff Stipes ah. defended the uh, type position, but we had Ramesh Prakashpalan on a few weeks back, and he was a type guy as well uh that's the direction i lead i still need to watch the debate uh cj made some interesting points when we had him on last week but but i still lean in the the type direction as well so we'll see we'll see if it ends yeah. up in a tiebreaker if cj's out number three to one uh, by our next <laughs> guest on this issue <laughs> thanks thanks for taking the time and answering that yeah yeah my pleasure
Yeah, we uh, we appreciate you and only taking time to answer that particular question, but answer all the questions that uh, we've thrown at you. It's been uh, a real joy for us to have you on the podcast. So thank you so much for giving us your time. Um, this has been another episode of the Blue Banter podcast. If you find yourself in the Stillwater, Oklahoma area on the Lord's Day, feel free to visit the uh, Stillwater RP Church. Or if you're in uh, Oklahoma City area, you can visit the recent church plant there with Stephen Mulder. In the meantime, if you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing this podcast on iTunes or whatever podcast catcher you use, you could share this episode on social media. And if you have a question that you would like us to ask the pastors we interview, or if you would like us to interview your pastor, you can email us at the Blue Banter Podcast at gmail.com, bluebanterpodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, whether you eat, drink, or banter, do all to the glory of God.